0: All right, everyone. I'm here with Kirk Henderson, Editor-in-Chief of Mavs Moneyball. How are you doing, Kirk? I'm good, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. Just uh, getting this Sunday started here today, this morning. Um, I just have Kirk on because he's had, in my opinion, an interesting story about writing about the Mavericks. Uh, He's been doing it for a while, and he's Editor-in-Chief of Mavs Moneyball, one of the biggest uh, Mavs fan sites that there's out out there. Um, I write for it. Uh, so, I uh, just wanted to talk about his story about how he got started writing with the Mavericks. So let's just jump in right there, Kirk. What, you know, w- w- where'd you start writing about the Mavericks?
1: So the writing has got to be predated a little bit by like finding, r- you know, s- things away from traditional media online. Like the first thing I can ever remember like commenting on was not Dallas basketball.com or anything like that. It was actually this ridiculous website called fire avery.com that, <laughs> that sprung up after um, Jason Kidd got traded to the Mavericks and then his first game with the Mavericks he pulled Kidd against the Spurs in the final moments and his justification was Kidd didn't know the playbook and if you remember all that back then it was kind of crazy because they it was like a, a, a it was really hard to get Kidd to the Mavericks it's just like very frustrating so i remember like like going out and googling like seeing like a link somewhere I, it wasn't. It might have been Facebook. It was truly. It was. It was truly ridiculous, though. So it's like I, I. spent some like that was like my first kind of interaction with like these fan sites, and then you know I. I, I was around, uh, the True Hoop and True Hoop Network, um, through ESPN because it's just like I, I graduated college and was just kind of like thirsting after basketball stuff, so I started consuming like as much basketball media as I could find. And so one of the sites that I liked the most was getting linked a lot from the True Hoop uh, po- uh, blog called The Two Man Game. And The Two Man Game was written, uh, so was basically the sole proprietor uh, of was Rob Mahoney, who is currently a staff writer at The Ringer and who went to Sports Illustrated and kind of wrote around like Rob's a really, really good writer uh, for anybody who knows who he is, like just incredible yeah. with words. And I was commenting on a lot of his stuff. Like, I ended up being, like, one of three people who would, like, actually comment. Like, he was getting readers, but no one was commenting for whatever reason. And then I remember, it's got to be, it was after the championship season. That part I know, I remember specifically. It's got to be, like, 2012, maybe 2012, 2013. Where at one point, he just, like, we had to register for stuff. He shot me an email and asked if I would be willing to cover a game because he couldn't do it. And at that point, he was like running his own website and doing all the games, all the stuff, everything. Wow. And and so he was, yeah, I know, like weird yeah. to think about with the stuff that we do, right? And so his uh, format was at that point, it was called the difference where he would do a game recap and he would do bullet points depending on how many uh, points that a team won or lost by, um, which could be, you know, if the Mavericks lost by six, you had to have like six observations. Um, I'm, I don't know why I remember this, but at one point the average won by 50 and I, remember, wow. I I can't remember the kid who had to do this and like, it was just preposterous. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of how I like stumbled into it where he asked me if I wanted to do it. And then after I did it, he gave me like just riotously <laughs> brutal feedback for the first time, like ever writing, um, where he just like went through and I, I wrote, I remember writing specifically something of like calling it a tale of two halves and him just sending me a note saying, don't do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, it was like really mean. And I still joke about it with him to this day because it was like, okay, you know, but, you know good, good feedback. And so was then it, I was just was, it was,
0: was he saying it was too trite or exactly. Was, yeah. Okay. He's like,
1: this is, gotcha. this, he's like, this is stupid. Do not do this. Um, and so then I just, I, I ended up finishing out the season over there. Um, and then I, I, some of this stuff gets a little blurry for me because right. At one point, he ended up closing down that site, and I—I he had brought on a writer, Dallas Dallas area writer named Brian Gutierrez, who I actually went to high school with, but didn't know that at the time. Um, and wrote he he basically mirrored the website, but had to call it something different because Rob didn't want to. Rob didn't he wanted to close the sh- the site down. So we did a lot of the same stuff called Mavs Outsiders, that ran for a couple years, and then at that point, I had hopped on. Um, to Mavs Moneyball, just kind of doing staff writing stuff. And Mavs Moneyball, even in like 2013, had like a rotating cast of characters, like eight or nine people willing to do stuff. And so that's kind of like, like it's a roundabout way for for how I got my start. And even with like the Mavs Moneyball thing, I remember uh, it was just basically a connection through the editor looking for people on Twitter. Her name was uh, El- Lisa Rotter. And she... Like her tweet just found its way to me. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm here. Like I do stuff. I'd be happy to help. And she was like, oh, she, you know, she looked at my stuff over there and said, yeah, if you don't mind writing for two sites, um, which nowadays is really hard to get anyone to agree to because everybody wants uh, kind uh, of proprietary ownership of a person's time. But that, right. that was
0: that was kind of the, the the entry point. And there's been a lot of people come through, I guess, maybe it's just because I'm so familiar with the Dallas writing scene, especially with the basketball, but it seems like there's been a lot of people. you mentioned Rob Mahoney and like we talked friends with Jonathan Charks. Uh, there's just a lot of people that have seemed to like come through Mavs Moneyball and then the Dallas writing scene in general that kind of go on to bigger things, so, right?
1: Yeah, and it it you know, SB Nation, which is a subsidiary of Fox, and they own all these these you know sports blogs where there's this kind of awkward relationship where the the understanding is you know if you want to have a a, a career. This is a place to do some work. It might not be a place to have that career, but it, it is a place to where you can can do some writing and figure some things out and make some connections, learn how the the industry kind of works because if if we're talking about like sports writing specifically, there is a bit of a, There's a bit of like a cyclical, like grindy nature where it's, you know, there's games, you talk about the games, You talk about what's coming up in the next game, blah, blah, blah. So there's like really a lot of opportunities to write stuff. And there's such a thirst for content to where we've seen, you know, in in 2013, when we started, like Lisa had was like trying to manage people, but it wasn't like what we do now, which is almost kind of it's almost business-like um I don't mean for it to I want it to be fun as we run stuff but it's like it's definitely like kind of regimented whereas things when when Josh Bowe and I were you know staff writers on the site eight nine years ago it was a little more wild westy where uh writers like Ian Cobb um and then Andy Andrew Tobolowski would like turn in like 4,000 word pieces, like <laughs> just real, real like missives on anything that they could w- was on their mind. Because you know, like, like sports writing in the last probably 15 years has really changed to where like the concept of a long form piece has gone sideways. Yeah. Um, we know so much about what readers' habits are that you can kind of you can kind of tell anything over 800 words starts to lose people's interest because it's like a we, we know how long people stick on page. We know how many pages they click through whenever they look at stuff like it's there's a lot of information available. And that sort of feeds back into what we write because you want to write stuff that people are reading, at least at least from a, like where we are now point of view.
0: All right. So speak. Speaking to that and how long you've been doing this, what, what do you think is the difference between people who kind of stick with it and then go on to do something with it as a career and the people that eventually give it up? You know, what, what have you seen where, you know, the difference in the people that – Oh, so are I would kind of classify
1: – I would kind of classify people into three distinct buckets. There's people who want to do this for a job, Okay. Like, mm-hmm. who really want to, like, I want to be a sports writer. Like, Tim Cato is is probably the best example of this. And he recognized what the path was, recognized what work it would take, and then sort of set himself out to doing it once he got in position of editor-in-chief of Mavs Moneyball for, I think it was like three years. Um, and, you know, then the, the second group of people is what I would probably put you and I in whereas like we want like we have stuff we want to say and if we don't say it somewhere we're going to say it's... The, if we don't put it on Money, moneyball we're going to put it somewhere right um and it's just kind of a like like a willingness to want to to you know participate and kind of get like like the creative i wouldn't exactly call it the creative process but it's just like ideas that you're going to talk about with somebody anyways you might as well commit it to paper and like flesh it out a little bit and make it something that someone else can can read right um, that's what you know you and me and josh and about a significant chunk of our side is and then there are people who i would say want say they want to do writing and then start writing and then realize rather quickly that they don't like the process yeah and or that they don't have as much to say as they thought and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because it's just like you you start to do particularly sports writing for any sort of sport where it has so many games, like basketball is a good example. It just becomes by like game 30, it becomes, uh, you know, kind of like doing the dishes, like chores. Like it's, it's, it can be, you know, cathartic at times, but it's not necessarily as fun
0: as you might have envisioned it in the beginning. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh and especially when you have for instance a Mavericks team that's been essentially the same thing for 3 years um and you've just kind of run out of stuff to talk about with these guys, you know, it can it can be challenging, you know, because nobody wants to hear my thoughts on Dorian Finney-Smith for the 80th time cuz uh-huh. nothing's really changed. But it's like you said you kind of have to grind it out and find something in there that's a little bit different, something he do he's doing differently. Um so yeah, It's definitely – I can see – do you think there's a lot of people – I think one of the pathways into getting into this is especially now, not 10 years ago, but the last five years or so, let's say, is people get on Twitter. They like talking with people on Twitter about sports, Mavericks, NBA in general. And so that leads them to this path like, hey, I've got something to say about this. And then like you said, uh, there's a big difference between firing off a few tweets and writing a 500-word article.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, and, and it, if you find yourself, you know, this is where I get my, my favorite place to read stuff that's just out there is Reddit. Um, because you'll, you'll see people that put together the essential, essentially articles, but they're, they're only read by their friends, uh, and only read by people who like traffic Twitter or, uh, uh, Reddit. And so it, it's, you, you kind of have to figure out what you're doing it for, um, to where if, if you're really doing this, if if you're interested in writing and this kind of applies to any kind of writing, you have to figure out if you're doing it for you or if you're doing it because you want the attention of other people. And I think if if you're doing if you're doing the latter and that's like your primary motivation, you're essentially setting yourself up to fail because you don't know if anyone cares about what you have to say. But if you're writing because you want to get, you know, thoughts out on paper, and work through ideas that you have, because that's really like, I, I think sort of an understated part of writing and we get criticism on this as Moneyball all the time. Sometimes you just put things to paper and it doesn't work or it's not a good idea. Once you like, you like people start discussing it and poking holes in it. And, and like, that's part of the process. I, I think for, for any sort of like talking about sports analysis, whatever you want to say, like it doesn't even have to necessarily be sports related and if if you're not interested in that part of the process, like the discussion, the feedback, um, then this probably isn't something for you. Because if you're writing something that is going to be um, consumed by other people, you're you're kind of opening yourself up. Um, I don't I don't know if like vulnerable is the right word, but you're open. You're opening yourself up for for um, criticism and. You know, what I found is that most people do not like the criticism. (laughs) I completely understand that. It's just kind (laughs) of a, it's just kind of a different deal. And I've, I've come across people in my, in my time doing this that are just so much more interested in being told how good they are at something rather than producing good
0: work. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that's the, the tough part of it is once you get something, like you said, once you get something done on paper and i kind of have this like or not paper but you know what i mean online yeah, yeah. um i have this kind of panic moment after you publish it and i'm like man like did did i like was i thorough in that did i you know and because sometimes just leaving out like one sentence that you meant to put in there can open up your whole argument to being just deconstructed completely but it's, oh, it's, it's like it's you said, hilarious it's, it's, it's part of the process you know you just have to put stuff out there and then next time just be better yeah. Mm-hmm. My my favorite,
1: we have a new-ish contributor to our site. Uh, his name's Scott. He uh, really loves the collective bargaining agreement for the NBA and really, really gets frustrated when people are discussing stuff that, like, isn't possible within, right. a, like, like, contract framework. So he put together a piece, and then I remember the first day he published it, he basically, like, kept sending me edits throughout the day after it was published. And... At one point, I remember saying to him, I was like, one of the things that you have to, you know, that you got to remember when writing is that there's some real value to writing something and being done with it. Yes. Uh, not necessarily never revisiting it, but being done with, you know, trying to make the perfect the enemy of the good. Um, it, because it's, it's, you're, one, things only have a limited shelf life. Two, you can always return to something
0: and say something better the next time. Right. Right. Yeah. That's one of the things I like doing the sports related writing is because I do end up being kind of a perfectionist with the writing, but there's not a, a, you can't do that with this type of writing when it, cause, cause there's constantly a deadline. If you're recapping a game, then, you know, you, it needs to be done within 30 minutes to an hour. People want to get on and read about it. Uh, people need to go to bed. Even the people that want to read about it in the morning, you've got to, you or Josh have to publish it. So people got to get to bed. So I just like the the idea that i've got to get this done i don't have to go back and revisit it four or five times to make sure it's perfect same thing if even if i'm writing about you know hey here's some possible trade scenarios i know there's got to be some timeliness to that because there's a trade deadline coming the mavericks might make a trade two days before the trade deadline so i kind of have to let go of that perfectionism so I, I can see where it's hard for some people to do that like i said i like it because it's getting me out of the habit of that perfectionism yes so um you, you talked about the discussion and the interaction on the pieces being part of that you're very uh responsive on twitter to people you have your twitter dms open which i it's it's crazy to me with the amount of followers you have um and then you host the green rooms after the games um what do you like i said do you do a lot of that interaction like how how are you able to balance that with because i'm not going to name any names but i've seen some reporters online that kind of i think are just it's that much interaction online has made them prickly is the best Mm. way to put it. And you're not that way for the most part. So how do you, how are you able to have that discussion with people who, and like, well, yeah, start with that. And then I ask my second part of that question. Well, first it's a liberal application
1: of the mute button for anyone who is anything (laughs) other than, you know, we can always disagree, but we can't, anybody that disagrees in a disrespectful manner, I just kind of lose my patience with I tell most people I'm willing to talk because just because I have a certain amount of followers and a certain, you know, I I run a website and have a podcast, like, just because I do those things does not necessarily make my thoughts any more important than anyone else's. And there's, occasionally there's an element of me noting, like, look, like, I understand you may feel this way about a certain topic, but I believe I am more, more versed in my expertise. And I will occasionally note that, but one of the things I think that that really frustrates the traditional kind of uh, like I would just refer to it as the legacy media people is that they have not like they, when they come up and train in journalism, there's never any aspect of customer service. Um, and I kind of, what I do for, for a living with database management and having to work with people all the time for a real job is I'm always having to talk with people and communicate with them. And if you talk at someone, they're much less willing to hear you if you talk with someone. And so I've also just found that like also helps grow my audience. Um, there are times when it's a bit much, uh, but it's, it's mainly, you know, I, I, find the democratization of, uh, kind of content to be very interesting because people can find what they want to find. Sometimes that can be a little bit dangerous if you find yourself in a bit of a bubble. But I have really made an attempt to cultivate and vo- both speak with like like voices and people who don't think the same way I do. Um, my, my you know, Dalton Trigg is a really good example. He's a editor-in-chief of, of DallasBasketball.com now. He wrote for Mavs Moneyball for a while. Dalton just thinks of sports differently. He is a happy warrior all the time. Um, and I'm not, and constantly talking with him, which I do like, I, like he and I text all, all day long is, is good for how I view things because I, it makes sure that I'm not necessarily always in sort of the grumpy Dallas sports bubble that our site can, can exist in because it, it results in just, just making sure that you're, you're exposing yourself to more viewpoints than, than the stuff that you want to
0: believe. Gotcha. So kind of moving on from that what I'm sure people a lot of people approach you like hey I want to get into this um, and you kind of look over what they've done what's kind of what do you see people doing wrong a lot when they're trying to build a presence online and trying to get into writing online
1: I think people misunderstand sort of what folks are online for you know there's people who are online to have conversations there are people who are online to consume content about the team and my I think the single biggest misconception and the NBA just results in this it's just, is is thinking that I anyone like I have to my thoughts are important is, is I guess what it comes to it's like me me being the, the 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 writer I am important like most people don't know who they're reading you know it took like yeah. took me 10 years to like regularly recognize Mark Stein's byline and he's probably one of my favorite reporters out there. And so it's just, it's understanding that if you have something you want to say, it's great and you should say it, but you do kind of need to move on from the pat from, from the point of view of this is about me. I mean, I ran into this myself because it's like my first few years where it's, you know, you really want to kind of get recognized for grinding and putting in hard work. And the simple fact is most people don't care.
0: Like they just want to read about their team and then
1: go about <laughs> their day
0: right yeah you mentioned the not knowing the, who they're reading that happens to me a lot on a few different websites like the ringer and uh, the athletic i'll read and uh, i'll get halfway through an article and i'm like wow i really like this and then i kind of realize, i'm like who is this and i have to scroll back to the top mm-hmm. and like figure out who i'm reading you know there you do you have your favorites you know that you're like oh this person wrote an article let me get to it and read it but for the most part you're clicking on the headline and yeah. then the the author comes after
1: I mean, the most successful people out there, we've really seen, when I talk about the democratization of content, I'm also thinking about things like Substack and these sites where people are going to write things on their own apart from publications. And there have been some spectacular successes and some spectacular failures. And I've talked about this kind of a great deal with different people that I know in the industry. And it's really, you know, like Bill Simmons is a good example of somebody who could go start his own Substack if he wanted to and have a thousand followers because people recognize him. Right. But if you're New York times writer that did health sciences for two years and you think you're a hot shit, oh, sorry, you think you're, <laughs> you think you're hot stuff because you, your stuff has been very important for the last two years. The simple likelihood is people probably don't know who you are because they're, they're getting funneled your way because, or because of what you're writing, not who right. you are. And it's just, it's it's kind of a different, it's, it's, it, that's kind of been, been the thing that I always point to people because I even had somebody, um, one of the, the editor, uh, one of our co-editors, her name's Kate Crawford, her husband is Matthew Iglesias, who writes one of the most successful substacks, and she's tried to push me, she's like, we should start a substack, and I'm like, nobody knows who I am, like, this is, you know, relatively speaking, I, like, we have an audience, but do I have a paying audience? And it's like one of the, the things that's very difficult, I think, in in when being online is understanding what the relative nature of the impact is. Because like most, you know, Twitter and Facebook and, and Reddit, it's like most people who are, are on those sites check in once a day. They don't live on them. And right. it, it, there can just be this sort of an outflated sense of what your your impact is because of things like kind of bogus things like engagement. And it's just, you, know, you want to get feedback, but at the same time, I just recommend to most people who are interested in doing this is like, really have a level head about what you're doing and why. Cause if your goal is fame and fortune, you're not going to, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's very hard. I, like I said, I've seen a ton of people. I started doing this l- later than you, maybe like 2017, I think. Um, and I've just seen people just fall off, fall off, fall off. And it's really, you just have to like Like we've talked about earlier, you have to enjoy the process and just, you know, have that desire to talk about the Mavericks or whatever team you want to write about um, Mm -hmm. ad nauseum almost, you know, you always have to have something to say about it. And sometimes that can be hard.
1: I also do it really for kind of a a, a sense of community in some senses in that. I'm going to watch the Mavericks anyways. I want to be kind of actively involved and be talking with people who like the same things I like. And that's been kind of a, a thing that I wouldn't have anticipated five or six, you know, eight, nine years ago whenever I started this. Because it's just, it's it's not what I would have expected to be the rewarding part. I wouldn't have expected to kind of form kind of like odd friendships with people I wouldn't have come across otherwise. And that part's been been nice because then that gives me another reason to want to come back and doing it. Like I tease Josh about this all the time because I can always tell when Josh is like burnt out um, just from like doing stuff. But then it's like, okay, you take some time off and then more often than not, you have an itch to say something, to write something. And if you don't have that itch, then this likely isn't for you.
0: Yeah. And, and that sense of community that you talked about, that's one of, for me, one of the benefits of writing for the site is that group chat that we have to just talk mm-hmm. about the Mavericks ad nauseum. So uh, it's great. Uh, kind of last couple of questions. What advice, if someone came to you, just, you know, they're like, hey, I've written nothing online, but I want to do this. I've got 10 Twitter followers you know, I just want to get into this. What should I do? What would be, you know, what would you tell them the first couple steps they need to do?
1: I mean, the first couple things that I would tell them to do is go find a place that you can write for free and keep track of your thoughts. Um, and that you can post and share. And then at that point, write as frequently as feels comfortable to you. Do not force it. If you don't feel inspired to write, don't write because then it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. Um, attempt to sort of read up on what kind of, I don't want to say like business practices, but like, what are people reading? Like, what are the most successful sites that you like as a re- as a reader? Uh, because if you're not reading, I, I think it's probably hard to write. Um, and, 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 you know, you don't necessarily want to mimic content, but there's also nothing wrong with, you know, looking at something that somebody wrote and saying, you know what, I think I want to try to do this about a particular series of, of plays, like, or like a game, like basketball writing in particular is, is is extremely niche now because we have so much publicly available information between like stats websites that are that are pay and then between, uh, you know, sites that will cover like video and, and, you know, like breakdown plays, like that sort of way. Like there's just a lot of different ways that you can get into things. Um, I find that there's a bit of a, like the, there's a lot of video content that I think you and I just like goes right past us. Cause we're just not sort of in the age demographic, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of opportunities on YouTube to, to do stuff. If you want to talk about basketball, like there's, there's really opportunities if you want to try, but it all comes back to sort of what I've repeated throughout the podcast is you have to do it because you want to do this for yourself. And if nobody watches it and you're still satisfied, then you should keep doing it.
0: If it, that, that's, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely it's the running theme throughout all this is like, you just really have to love the, the topic and the process of writing about the topic. So, yeah. Um, all right. So just a couple of Mavs related questions. So outside of 2011, I guess, Pat, I think you said you started around 2011 uh, writing a lot about the Mavericks. What was your favorite season to write about with the Mavericks? So not your favorite season of all time, but since you've been writing about the Mavericks online, what's your favorite? Oh man, that's a good question because I can sort of like my,
1: my best writing happened before my kid was born. And then when my kid was born, I just kind of became 20% dumber um, <laughs> where I like, I would have like, there've just been times of the last five, six years. Cause he's almost six where I'll have an idea. I'll, it'll percolate all day. I'll sit down to write it and then just nothing. Um, I, I just get like total, total writer's block. And sometimes you can tell that when I'm in the group chat and I just throw out an idea because you can tell it's like something I would like to do, but I just don't actually have the bandwidth. I I don't know which one was my favorite. Maybe the Monta Ellis season. Um, the, the Monta Ellis kind of the first season with Samuel Dallin Barrett center, that weird, weird team, um, that was a lot of fun. Maybe.
0: The pre-Rondo trade season was I a lot of fun. The first, what, like 15, 20 games of that season was great. That was (laughs) real good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would say those two. I mean, it's like the seasons as a whole are kind of difficult to say. Oh, this was a fun season to write about because they're just so long. Yeah, Like this season has been extremely entertaining kind of an aggregate because the first 20 games were awful and writing about the team was awful. And then when COVID stuff starts to hit and they get kind of weird and then they start figuring out some defensive points, they've been a lot more fun to cover because it's just been different.
0: Yeah. So, okay. Well, uh, I guess my last question for you, we're four days from the trade deadline. Do you think the Mavs make a trade? I mean, I think they do, but I don't know what it could be. It's just so yeah. it's so odd out there. It's There's not – cause I've been running through a lot of these trade scenarios in my mind uh, and then through the trade machine online, of course, like everybody does at this time of year, there's just not a lot of stuff that out, out there that makes sense. So uh, I think it's going to be something that comes out of nowhere. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be a huge deal. Right. So, yeah. So, all right, well, Kirk, uh, like I said, thanks for talking to me about this stuff. I think people really, you know, value your insight on this topic. So uh, I think they're, they'll have a blast listening to this. I appreciate you coming by. Sure thing. All right. Thanks, sir.